You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. In a series, in a season that's already been wildly disappointing for Brooklyn, they now sit on the edge of being swept by the Celtics tonight. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get your brooms out because it's a mess. It's almost sweep time. Boston is up 3 nothing on Brooklyn, and they are tipping off as we speak to figure out if Brooklyn can stave off elimination. So we figure we'll get right into it with a great guest that can help us break it all down. Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe, national NBA writer. Gary, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate you joining us. Got to jump right in since this game's starting right now. How have we gotten to the point in this series where the Celtics have been able to be this dominant? Yeah, Jason, it's just uh, the defense. The defense has found a way to neutralize uh, and frustrate Kevin Durant for three consecutive games is something I don't think any of us envisioned. We've never seen Kevin Durant in a playoff series or anything otherwise play like this, struggle like this, have a tough time getting the shot off, have a tough time just you know dribbling the ball, you know, just making the basic Kevin Durant moves. We have not seen that before. So that has been the biggest surprise of the series and also the fact that other guys like Kyrie Irving have struggled offensively uh, and – Guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, Al Horford have stepped up. We have a 3-0 series, three close games, uh, 14 points difference in the three games, but three wins for the Celtics. Gary, I don't know that we're talking enough about Ime Odoka and the fact that he was with the Nets and presumably brought some of the institutional secrets and maybe uh, therapist-type uh, reconnaissance on players' psyches into this. How much do you think it matters that he's over with the Celtics now and able to look at guys, in, in specifically Kyrie and, and Durant, that he just coached? A very critical point, Sarah, because let's be honest, he coached them last year, and there was a reason why the Celtics wanted to face the Nets. They didn't shy away. Milwaukee wanted to avoid the Nets in the uh, playoffs in the first round. There was a reason why the Celtics wanted this matchup. And it was something that he knew, obviously, defensively, a way that they could neutralize Kevin Durant, not maybe this much, but stop them, uh, a way to win these uh, three games and take control of the series because no one wanted to face the Nets except the Celtics. Um, You know, it was either that or face Toronto. Now, obviously, Philly faced Toronto, has control of that series, but the Celtics, no one thought this was going to happen except maybe Ime Doka, something he didn't tell us but he was quite confident about this matchup the whole time, and that shows that he knew something. We're talking to Gary Washburn from the Boston Globe National NBA writer there. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And, I mean, we've all mentioned KD already in this process. He's just not looked like himself. Is this some new book that everybody else can replicate? Like are the Celtics suddenly showing the world how to slow down a superstar? Yeah, I think that, that this will be something that other teams, when the next season starts, will try to uh, replicate against Durant. And I don't think we've ever seen him this frustrated. You know, even though he's faced the best of defenses, he's faced the toughest of uh, you know, one-on-one defenders, he's always been able to have uh, the upper hand, get a shot down, get to the basket, hit that mid-range jumper, hit the key three. He's always been able to do that. Then after the first game, it was like, okay, he just had a rough game, but it's continued, and it continued in Game 3, which was kind of disturbing. He only took 11 shots in 46 minutes. He dribbled to the basket, and when defenders came, he's looking to pass to Bruce Brown. Like, no, Durant's supposed to take that to the basket, 
get fouled, get to the free throw line, get a shot down. He was looking to pass. You know, he was not as aggressive as he should have been, and that was definitely something of concern if you're a Nets fan. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely have to give credit to Tatum and the Celtics defense, but also, I mean, the guy has two more field goals than turnovers in the series. It's been sloppy, it's been ugly, and he hasn't been aggressive. Didn't take a single shot in the last 11 minutes of Game 3. He is allowing himself to be shut down in a way that we've really never seen before. I'm actually kind of curious if there might be health issues there that uh, uh, Kevin is not letting on. Let's talk Simmons really quick because... um, I will fully admit to having to throw my hands up in the air, uh, Gary, and just say, I don't know enough about his mental health struggles. I don't know enough about his back injury. I don't know enough about the communication between him and Steve Nash and anybody else about playing because Friday, Ben Simmons says, I hope to play Monday. It's going to be exciting. Sunday, Steve Nash, when asked if he's playing, says no idea. It just didn't seem like there was a clear plan to get him back to action. So when we find out today that some of the issues, both mentally and physically, have reoccurred, um, my first thought is empathy, but also confusion, continued confusion about whether this guy truly does want to play basketball. I just have a lot of trouble with the personal attacks at him that I've seen, and a lot of people pointing the finger at him. He's not the reason the Nets are losing this series, right? No, sir, he isn't, and, but I think the Nets put him in a real bad position. One, they let him speak to the media before Game 3. Uh, why would you let him speak to the media and say he's probably going to play in game four? That's his target. Mm-hmm. You keep that to yourself, even if that's the plan. You unleash that maybe day of game or shoot around that morning. You do not let him say a couple of days ago, I'm ready to play in game. I think I'll be ready to play in game four because what if he doesn't? This is exactly what happens, the criticism. And then I just think if you're the net, it's not going to work out this year. You let him rest get his head straight, get his back straight, you bring him back for next year, and you say, listen, this hasn't worked yet, but we're going to get him completely healthy. You do not throw him into a high-intensity playoff game because anything he does that's negative is going to be a meme on Twitter. It's going to be, you know, he's going to get face even more criticism if he has a turnover. If he miss, what if he misses a couple of free throws? What's that going to do to his psyche mm-hmm. if, you know, Twitter is after him for that? So, to me, they just the Nets put him in a really bad position and now he's, like you said, Sarah, getting all the personal attacks for being, quote-unquote, soft, not being strong enough, what's wrong with his back, how did he hurt it, all of this stuff to where they just should have shut him down for the season, let him get ready, and be back in October. Gary, before we get you out of here real quick, uh, obviously going into this game, do you think the Nets have the fight in them to try and turn around and make this a series, or do they lay down? You know, Jason, I thought game three was the game that they were supposed to have the fight. And by second quarter, I thought to myself, wow, they just don't quite have it. Like, they don't have that punch to knock the Celtics out or go up by 15 or 20 points in Cruz. Where you look at the other three three zero games where Denver had that fight and Toronto had that fight. I don't know if the Nets have enough just to put up that fight and, and just punch them and then send it back to Boston and put some doubt in this series. I just don't think so considering the effort they gave in game three where they trailed most of the way. Durant took 11 shots. That was supposed to be the game where you, you, know, you restore order, you, go, you get it within 2-1, and then you still know you're going to make it a long series. I don't think they have it tonight. You guys can follow him on Twitter at G Washburn Globe. Read him on the Boston Globe. Gary, always appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Hey, guys, thanks a lot.
ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Bundle and protect today under one roof. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. We'll obviously keep you updated on that game. Sarah, you think they lay down or you think they're able to put up a fight? Like what do we have? Uh, do you have an expectation in this one? You know, I think earlier today I thought potentially they might get a win in this game. Durant might have the game we've been waiting for. But I kind of think that they're so de- they're so short on defense that they won't be able to put it on long enough. They, they won't be able to hang on and play 48, and the Celtics will end up just closing it out. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think the Celtics are going to close this one out, even though every game, as Gary smartly pointed out, has been close. Let's see mm-hmm. how this one plays out. In the meantime, our clown car can't fit all of our passengers this week. <laughs> We're updating to a van. Find out who's joining us on that road trip next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The Nets and the Celtics are underway. It's about a three-point game right now. We'll keep you updated as the Nets try to keep their season going. Celtics try to finish off a dramatic sweep. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And it's time for some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We realize the game is underway, and there is still a chance for the Nets to put together enough of a game to get a W and extend their season. But neither Fitz nor I has any belief that this series will go the way of Brooklyn and that they will advance. It feels like this failed experiment that already lost one piece in James Harden uh, will not be around for much longer. Something's got to give in Brooklyn, whether that's a GM gone, switching of some players. And either way, Fitz, we have talked about this team all season long for mostly the wrong reasons, mostly the disappointments, the underperforming, (laughs) the absurdity of it all. And I believe we invented the clown car here on this very show. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe we invented it for Kyrie Irving and either his flat earth nonsense or his anti-vax. I can't even remember at this point. I just remember that I believe Kyrie was driving day one. Yeah, it, it was Flat Earth, all, all day, every day, Flat Earth, okay. and Kyrie gets the origination from it. Yep. Okay. Uh, Kyrie has been at it so long uh, that, honestly, the clown car no longer fits all his BS, uh, and he also has started to attract followers, like uh, the Pied Piper of sorts. Uh, I picture him playing a recorder or whatever instrument that was, and there's now a long line of people behind him that, unfortunately for them, have been sucked into his his, his uh, preaching and his his uh, manipulations and have decided to jump on board, and, and that is the failed ship that is the Nets. So the clown car is too small, and we have upgraded to a clown van. We don't have a new sound for that, so here it is, clown car. Spain and Fitz take you for a ride in a clown car. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I lose you. Is Earth flat or round? Yeah. I think you need to do research on it. Is this guy left-handed, right-handed? Is he amphibious? Make me a bicycle clown! That's right, the clown van! Because we gotta fit the whole damn Nets team in there. And I'm sorry if you're catching shrapnel and it's not your fault that the team's about to go down, but you've, you've chosen to ride in this van. And so now you're a part of it. Fitz, let's start with Kyrie. <laughs> he has gotten so far around the convincing of himself that he knows better than everyone that he is now currently facing the consequences of his actions. And I'd like to start with all the criticisms of Steve Nash, who unfortunately now is in the clown van as well. We don't really know if Steve Nash can coach at all. I don't think he's been given much of a shot. But do you remember when Kyrie said, I don't think we need a coach? 
<laughs> well, you know, maybe the argument is that no coach would have helped them win this. Year. That's the only way I can Fair. try and couch that. Yes, I mean, you're a thousand percent right. Yeah, he, he made that argument loudly, and I don't know that he stands by that now. Yeah, he, uh, he in fact had to apologize publicly for basically saying, we don't need a coach, we should just have player coaches after Nash had been hired. And the fact that now people are basically equating, as I heard Nick Friedel today on ESPN Daily, Steve Nash to Ted Lasso, that all we see is butt slaps and some claps and some, all right, it's okay, it's all right, guys. Uh, and we're hearing from sources that Kevin Durant spent most of game three every time he returned to the bench complaining to various staff members about not having a good game plan and offensive playbook and everything else. That feels like they brought it on themselves, Fitz. And I understand wanting a player-friendly coach. I understand not wanting, you know, too much of a, of a red-butt kind of guy. But I, I think this is inevitably another result of Kyrie thinking he knows better than everyone else and will be the first NBA team that doesn't have a coach. I mean, you also have to just look at it and say the amount of blowback you're going to get, if that's the stance you take very publicly, then you understand that you've changed the way everything's going to be perceived moving forward. Like there's just the number of times Kyrie puts it out there and then, you, you know, you can't really be mad about it when it comes back at you because mm -hmm. you're the one that put it out there. Like, you know, instead of deciding to use a moment months ago to say, hey, what's great is having a coach that's accomplished so much at so many levels. Maybe we can all learn something from that and we can all grow together. Like it's a simple answer to a simple question rather than take that stance when you go the opposite way. Now you have to understand that the judgment will come back with the fury of the gods if you're wrong and I don't even remember and I but I don't think it was a question I think he offered that up unsolicited that he <laughs> and I'm going back now and I'm seeing this uh the exact quote was I don't really see us having a head coach KD could be a head coach I could be a head coach some days it's a collaborative effort so yeah, that's not answering a question. That's offering up. Steve Nash isn't really our coach. So there's that. Then you've got the fact that throughout the course of the season, Jay Williams, I've heard, be one of the voices that is want to defend Kyrie's stance on not getting vaccinated. You know, he admits that obviously things would be easier for the team if he were to get vaccinated, but it seems like Jay Will has always kind of been like, this is your prerogative. And he's always sort of defended Kyrie in that. Well, Kyrie's gone far enough now that he snapped Jay Will even because this is what he said on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max about Kyrie saying the team just doesn't seem like it's had that much time to gel. I love Kyrie. I've said before he's one of the most dynamic scorers the game of basketball has ever seen. This is tone deaf, man. This is completely tone deaf. The fact that you made a decision that I backed for vaccination purposes. I backed you on it. But because of that, there are things that happen because of your own decision. James Harden, the chemistry falls. You guys are number one in the East. KD gets hurt. You can't play. You're only allowed to play half the games here and there on the road. James Harden decides, screw this. I'm not with it because I wanted a full team. He dips. Kevin comes back. Now you're in the seventh seat. Now you're in the verge of being swept. I don't want to hear you sit up here, even though it's the right thing to say with your teammates internally, that we don't have the continuity. We don't have chemistry. I get all that. But, bro, coming from you, I can't hear that publicly. I can't. That's tone deaf. It's dumb to me. Yeah. I mean, literally, again, Friedel on ESPN Daily today talking about how there were two pregnant pauses as Kyrie was talking about they're not gelling. And both times the press had their fingers and toes crossed that he might say, and you could put it on me. Pause, pause, pause. For not being available for half the games. And if you recall, if you could think this far back, his voluntary separations from the team 
over the last two years where he's decided to be away from the team for various reasons. But Fitz, he didn't do that. He never has taken accountability for it. He never has acknowledged that that's probably the reason James Harden is gone, and it's absolutely the reason this team is not consistent night in and night out. There are so many layers to the way you process this if you're Kyrie. I don't I don't fault the logic that, hey, things aren't great for this team right now because we haven't really had the chance to gel. But to, to say that and not completely immediately – take ownership in why you haven't had the chance to chat like it at this point everybody knows the situation Kyrie has been pretty vocal about his decisions in the whys and the hows and the whens and so I'm looking at it and saying why if you're going to put this out into the universe where you're going to say not gelling together and not getting enough time together is the reason then how do you not immediately say look we all understand this season uh, went off the rails for reasons we've covered a million times but let's be real now as a result we may not have gelled the way we need to like that's a real and nuanced conversation that's okay to have. You can't just come out, though, and say this is why without also acknowledging the role that you played and why. Yeah, it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We've upgraded our clown car to a clown van. We've got to fit in Kyrie for saying we don't have a coach, for not getting vaccinated, for questioning their inability to gel. we got to put in KD for his effort. And listen, this this team and its construction and how it is not – a good functioning team, it is superstars at the top and then not the right pieces. That's Sean Marks. That's Kyrie. But KD, within the construct of this team, they could be good enough if he showed up and he was the superstar we know he can be. He was over in the second half of Game 2. He didn't take a single shot even in the last 11 minutes of Game 3. He has two more field goals than turnovers in the series. KD has not been good or aggressive, and he might come out that he's injured, but KD's got to be in there too, Fitz. Yeah, I mean, KD's got to look at all of this and say, hey, when, again, like I've said with LeBron, when you are part of the construct of, of the construction of the roster, I should say, and the way everybody comes together, you got to acknowledge this. This has to be part of everybody stepping up and saying, it's not just that this isn't going well, here's the role I played in that. Right. And as, as uh, I guess, manipulative and persuasive as Kyrie is, he seems to have brought a whole lot of people along on this ride, willing to, to bet on talent. And it takes more than that. It takes work and everything else. And Clown Van showing that. Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Mavs, next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, hanging out with you on a Monday on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We'll keep you updated on the Nets and Celtics as Kevin Durant, good start tonight as they try to keep their season alive as the Celtics try to sweep Brooklyn. But there's other games tonight, including a Mavs team that's maybe a little heated after the NBA released its official report from the last game. Let's get to Mavs beat writer for the Athletic, Tim Cato, to talk about that. Tim, they take an L in Luca's return, and it turns out that there was a pretty important call that the refs didn't make on Donovan Mitchell with an offensive foul that would have probably changed the end of that game. How much can they get caught up on being wronged by the officiating, and how much do they have to take accountability for the other couple chances they had down the stretch there and need to head into this game uh, feeling you know, inspired by that revelation of a bad call instead of downtrodden by it? Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's a good question. You know, it's... It, it's interesting. Like, clearly they were upset. Um, it, it seemed like what they focused on even more than that call specifically was the overall idea that um, Maxi Kleba uh, got into foul trouble. And, and he's 
you know, they, they basically asked, or, or something that Jason Kidd said this morning at shoot-around was, hey, we're trying to ask the NBA, how do you box out Rudy Gobert? You know, just tell <laughs> us how, and, and we'll do it. And, uh, you know, as, as Jason Kidd kind of dryly remarked, um, they haven't heard back yet. Um, and, and I think they have some grievances there. Um, you know, certainly the Donovan one is going to be highlighted thanks to the last two-minute report. But, but you know, I, I think in terms of the overall outcome of the game, uh, those fouls on, on Maxi was was enormous for what the Mavericks were trying to do, and the winning strategy that they had uh, kind of figured out in the in games two and three against Utah. So certainly, there's a few things that they're frustrated with, but at the same time, you know, it, it's not something you can dwell on. And I, I think the team and the players know that. Anytime, though, Tim, a coach or a team speaks about officiating, you feel like maybe there's going to be some response in the way the next game is officiated. Do you think anything will or should change? Yeah, I, I think that officials can't avoid doing that to some extent. Um, I, I would be surprised. Maxi, you know, just to focus on him, he's got into foul trouble two straight games. And, you know, it's one of those things where it'd be surprising if he did this game as well. It'd be surprising if he's called quite as ticky-tack as, as, you know, some of the fouls that were being whistled against him in, the, in those uh, games three and four uh, were. And it just – you know, there is an inherent bias of a home crowd will affect the, uh, the officiating. I think we know that it's, it's human nature. You know, it's not even the officials consciously trying to do that. But, but when you have the crowd on your side, um, you know, when they're, when they're cheering for Dallas, I, I think that, you know, I would anticipate that there isn't going to be as many situations that Dallas is going to be complaining about uh, come tomorrow. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Tim Cato. You can follow him at Tim underscore Cato. This is a 2-2 game, uh, game five tonight. Jazz are at the Mavericks, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. What have you seen in the two wins for the Mavs that they need to make sure to do tonight? Yeah, I, I think that they really figured some stuff out. And it, it's funny that Luka comes back and, and that's the game they lose. Right. Um, but We've seen it with Utah. We've seen them really struggle when teams can play five shooters and spread them out. And Maxi not being, you know, being limited to 18 minutes in game four, I, I thought that was the specific reason why his importance to this lineup uh, was so critical, was that, that he is that, the, the one shooting big man that they have, that they can put in there, that they trust uh, down the, the stretch of the game. And, and he came back in with five fouls, and I think fouls out with, with uh, four minutes to go. Uh, I think that's one thing. Uh, I think the other thing that Dallas did really successfully uh, throughout games two and three was they attacked Donovan Mitchell and they attacked Jordan Clarkson and they attacked Mike Conley. They, they were like, those three guards cannot keep up with our guards. And even though Luca had some success getting Rudy Gobert on him and, and hitting a step back or two over him, I, I thought that the offense in the fourth quarter for the Mavericks went a little bit away from that mismatch ball. And sure, you know, you think of like James Harden, the way that he would always isolate with those Houston teams. Um, sometimes it's not the most fun to watch, but consistently throughout the series, uh, Dallas found that Utah cannot uh, slow them down. Their perimeter defenders are not up to the task of keeping, you know, and controlling Jalen Brunson. And uh, I think that's something they did get a little bit away from in the, in the fourth quarter of game four. And I would be surprised if, if they didn't really focus on that throughout the first half of this game, really focusing on those mismatches. Luca comes back from injury, crushes it. Any expectation of whether or not there's a step back from that? I mean, is he is he where he's going to be moving forward? Well, with him, there's always a step back. So, you know, it's, it's right <laughs> on the Step back, line. Jay. <laughs> uh, 
I think uh, <laughs> so he played 34 minutes. He played 34 minutes in game four. Uh, I, I would imagine that he's probably cleared to go 38, 39, even 40. Uh, he's not going to play the entire game, but you know, that, that just for starters, I think his minutes are, are going to be increased beyond that. You know, he looked pretty good. Uh, game four was in the afternoon. So he's had a little bit longer to recover from it. I think he'll be Luca. You know, Luca has some of the most ridiculous playoff averages of any player uh, out there. You know, he is someone who shows up and he showed up in the past, uh, the past two series that, that the Mavericks have played, you know, the, the, the two series, the two first round series they played against the Clippers and sure the Mavericks lost both of those, but you know, it wasn't Luca. It was by no means Luca at, at any point, you know, if you go and look at how he performed in those series. So I would expect him to be as brilliant and otherworldly as we come to expect. Spain and Fitz talking to Tim Cato, Mavericks beat writer for the athletic ahead of Mavs jazz tonight, 9 30 PM Eastern. It's a series tied two games apiece. Tim, there are 11 players averaging at least 25 points per game in the postseason. Ten of them are all-stars that most people at home know their names, and the other is Jalen Brunson. Tim McMahon of ESPN uh, tells us that the Mavs could assign Brunson to a four-year extension for as much as $55.5 million. Didn't offer it before the season, didn't offer it mid-season. How much money has Brunson made himself, and do you think this contract situation <laughs> resolves itself fairly soon? I thought the opening line of McMahon's story was pretty good, where it's uh, the question right now, the, the parlor game is whether it's uh, eight, eight figures or nine figures. The question mm -hmm. is whether somebody out there is, is willing to go four years, 100 plus million. Ooh. And I think at this point, there are teams ready to do that. You know, Brunson has, you know, he's, he's truly improved this season. He has he's taken big steps. And he also, you know, in, in these opening games of the playoffs, he showed that he's someone who can step up to a to a slightly bigger role. That that he is equally capable of that. Now, Dallas, I, I, as far as I've heard, and, and I believe they they would like him back. And I know Brunson would like to stay in Dallas. It's at this point, it's a it's a contract thing. And, and you know, they they didn't offer that fifty five million uh, before the season or mid season. I, I wouldn't take that as a sign of what the Mavericks view him uh, as being worth monetarily. The reason they didn't offer that is, is they really wanted the flexibility of being able to trade him. If some trade came up, uh, you know, Nico Harrison is a, is a new GM, so they had a new front office that was working, and they, they just wanted to maintain that flexibility. I, I think that more likely than not, Dallas is still the favorite to refine him, even if it's going to take almost twice as much as they could have locked him up to, you know, back in January. Hmm. Yeah. So who wins the series, Tim? I've got Dallas. I, I think I think it will be Dallas. I, I think they've shown enough stuff. I think that you know just being able to go five out and and really hurt the way that that Utah, you know, get get shots get the shots they want and and they've done a really good job limiting what the the Texas shots that, that Utah have gotten. So I, I think that they kind of have a a math advantage. They've taken more threes. They've they've generally turned it over less. I, I think it's going to be Dallas and uh, you know I. Sure, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Dallas rider, so, so take it as you will. But just looking at the map of the series, just looking how it's played out, I think Dallas has more answers. Awesome stuff, Tim. Thanks for the insight. Enjoy the game tonight. Absolutely. Thanks, y'all. Tim Cato, beat writer for The Athletic, who covers the Mavs, with us here on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, it's NFL Draft Week. Fitz is out in Vegas. He has been for a few days filming things inking things he'll set the stage for us next wake up and get up 
with Key, Jay, and Max. He was a triple-double waiting to walk into the building. That is the way he will be remembered, along with, oh, well, he couldn't shoot. Oh, he shot some air balls. But I don't think it does anything to his legacy. Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Max, followed by Greeny. We're going to move on from you no matter what. mornings on ESPN Radio. More from Spain and Fitz next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM Channel 80. Presented by Puberty, essentially, since my voice decided say, I wanted to crack there. I was going to say, is it time to change? <laughs> I feel like the big change I'll is a coming, sir. It's a big change. Deep cut for the youngsters out there. Look it up. Oh, you know, the, the the funny thing is the day that my voice stops cracking on radio is the day that I'll know that I'm too professional. That's, a, that, You're that's too what old. we all know. She's, now, you will have yeah, aged that's out a, of that's the right. business when your voice stops cracking and you've fully completed puberty. You know, the, the great thing is, like, according to, uh, according to the average life ex- expectancy of uh, touring musicians, I'm way past middle age, so I don't know you? when this is going to end. Uh, look at me. Uh, she's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. We're hanging out with you on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah, I am in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. It has been a wild week of tapings for me. Uh, incredible to get to hang out with some people, but we are doing the digital draft broadcast that we do every year. Last year, uh, 10 million people watched the first night. Really proud of this every year that we do. Uh, if anybody wants to watch the draft, we'll start about 15 minutes before the first pick. We will go through every pick of day one and every pick of day two. It's me, Field Yates, Spencer Hall, Dominique Foxworth, and Harry Douglas that'll be hanging out. Mina Kimes going to make an appearance. So uh, we'll be in ESPN app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere you can get things digitally hanging out. And uh, But this week, I came out to do some tapings. So one of those tapings that the world will get to see, I would like to think this is the, the weirdest or maybe most unique interview in history as I sat down and decided that the best way to finally interview Max Crosby of the Raiders was to spend three hours getting tattoos with him. So that's what we did. We went into Hart <laughs> Huntington on, on, in Caesars, and I, I have new ink on my arm. It Just is what uh, you needed, by the it's way. healing pretty Another well. Tattoo. I feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's... Uh, but the funniest difference between, like, I got the draft logo because I'm always proud of the draft work and I want to remember this forever. Uh, Max got kill or be killed above his knee. And I was like, what What do I get? Like, slap or be slapped? Is like, like, that's the closest equivalent <laughs> I have to kill or be killed. What did you get? Are you going to tell us or is it going to be a surprise? Yeah. No, I got the draft, uh, like the logo of the NFL draft with 2022 in it as part of my skyline of the moments I'm proudest of in my life. Uh, Just the draft work in general for me has been something I, from the day I wanted to get into this business, I wanted to do it. So, you know, I'm always particularly proud of the draft show every year and the fact that I got a you know tattoo with a Raiders player it felt yeah. like the right time to get the draft I mean added, but. I, I don't want to ruin things for you because I don't know if you've heard this but tattoos are like mostly permanent but what oh, if you do really? something tremendously dumb during the draft coverage like something that would get you fired uh canceled permanently embarrassed a uh, uh, shame to your entire friends and family uh what if something goes terribly wrong I'm not trying to put it out in the universe. I'm just thinking worst case scenario. What if something goes terribly wrong and forever you have that moment embedded amongst your most proud? Well, here's the thing. Then I would just get the year 2022 covered within the draft and tell everybody <laughs> it's about Nashville when I did all the features with the country okay. music stars, right? Okay, like, okay, so okay, okay, I'll just okay, spin yeah. it around. Like that, right, that's right, the, right. Uh, or that's the you'll, you'll but it like is... write some story about overcoming that moment to mm. reestablish myself in media slash society, slash out of jail, is one of my proudest moments. 
I, I, look, if that's what it takes to start getting me to write stories <laughs> for the, the dot com, I'm all in. It's Let's do some weird fix. things in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's interesting because I don't know, Sarah, if you've seen any of the drawings, but uh, there's been a lot of conversation about the Bellagio fountains and how that's going to be a huge part of the broadcast. But I'm here to tell the world that that's sort of a fraud. Like the Bellagio stage is just the red carpet hangout stage. So, like, Whoa. they're going to have the fountains. But, like, Roger Goodell's not making the picks from the Bellagio stage. So what what blew my mind, I saw the other day, and I've never seen this in my life in Vegas. And, you know, I grew up here as a little kid, but I come back here all the time. They are shutting down the Las Vegas Strip for people just to walk on the Strip and stand all over the streets. And everybody's going to flock to the fountains. And that's actually nowhere near where the real picks are going to be made. That's going to be... Like huh. way on the other side of the street and way in the back. So like I think a lot of people are going to spend all day standing in front of the big fancy fountains and then find out when the draft starts that they don't get to see the picture from there. Wow. This is reminding me of, and I don't believe you were my co-host at the time. This was a Spain and Company fresh, like like early COVID. Uh, do you remember Fight Island? Yes. Fight Island was the heavily hyped uh, fighting championships, UFC fights on Yas Island, which is what we had to say every time. <laughs> Yas Island in Abu Dhabi. But the photo that got circulated for all of the prep was like a, an octagon under a palm tree on the water. And it was like, oh, fight island. That looks so idyllic. And then it looked nothing like that. Like it was completely different. I feel like that's what they're pulling here with the Bellagio <laughs> Fountains. Yeah, it's it's funny because uh, my producer the the that works on these shows does great work, Chris Cologne. Uh, Chris and I were like, we're gonna go find where the actual draft setup is. And for anyone that's familiar with Vegas, you'll understand this. Not only do you have to go into the links, you have to go through the links all the way past the pools and the links, and into this weird area called Caesar's Forum. Not the Forum Shops, but Caesar's Forum. Like not even close to the Forum Shops. And there's a huge outdoor parking lot that's going to be the draft experience where the fans will get in. Mm. So I think there's going to be a ton of fans that realize that late. And then by the time they try and get over to where the actual draft is, it is going to be a you-know-what show. But won't they want that full? Won't they want people to be there so it looks heavily attended? Yeah, that's going to be also, I think, particularly interesting because I was talking to a casino employee last night that uh, said that uh, they're being told to the casino. The people that work in the casinos here are being told to come for their shift four hours before they start because the anticipated traffic to get through people to get into the casino. But the problem is if all of those people are sort of scattered along the Vegas Strip and not back in the NFL experience, I don't know that it'll look as great. Like part of the reason that Nashville looked great was because everybody was funneled, like it or not, onto one street for five blocks, right? Like it was lower Broadway, five blocks. Here, there's going to be the opportunity to have a bunch of people at one stage and a bunch of people at the other, but I don't think it's going to look as impressive as it could. Yeah. All right, that's interesting insight, Fitz, on the actual like setting of the stage. And honestly, the strip, I hadn't been to Vegas in a while when I went last fall for the Bears-Raiders game, and I completely forgot how far away things are on the strip. Like, they look so close, and then you start walking, especially if you have heels on, and, and you're like, oh, this is a terrible idea. And same goes for some of the stuff around Allegiant Stadium. Like, it looks connected, but it's actually farther to get there from the pregame 
festivity stuff. So I think you're right. A lot of folks are going to show up and think they can bounce around and find themselves stuck. Uh, speaking of bouncing around, a lot of the picks and mock drafts and players going near the top have been bouncing around since the beginning. There's like the least consensus among the top picks in this draft of any I can remember. Are you getting any hints as to whether we're now into the lying portion where we're so close to the draft that we can't believe anything? Or is this where we actually start to hear the truth? Yeah, I, I, I think we are absolutely in lying portion. And for anyone that didn't see this, we now have Trayvon Walker, the Georgia defensive end, is now the odds-on favorite to be the number one overall pick in the draft at sports books all over the country. Uh, and he's somebody that I, I think stories right now are saying what a wild rise. He was still considered by a lot of people to be a top 10 uh, at least uh, prospect. But when I did the first draft podcast uh, about a month ago with Kuyper and McShay, they both said, look, Trayvon has all of the traits and is going to fly up, not because of production, but because of who he is and what he looks like, how he runs, and his power, all of these different things that people love. They love to to draft for traits. But I was talking to one of our draft analysts uh, earlier today, and he said that there are picks that he thinks are second-round picks that other people are telling him are fifth- or sixth-round picks. Mm. Like, that's a level of difference we've never seen. I, I think it's going to be wild and difficult to predict any of this. And what you're going to end up with is a lot of teams that are reaching and history is not going to be favorable when they grade these drafts. But realistically, we're going to forget the context of this was a strange and difficult draft to be a part of because everybody differs on so many of these prospects. And there's it's not just a quarterback draft. I'm going to play all of what you said back for you after the draft and remind you that you said that within minutes of telling me you were going to gamble on the draft this year. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I've, I've lost my mind. And, and you know, it's like I looked, I, I was standing there today and I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I'm in Vegas. I've been studying for the draft for months at this point. Like it, 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 there isn't a mock I haven't read. There isn't somebody I haven't tried to figure out, but uh, I feel like I have at least the knowledge right now that it would take to make the most educated guess that I could possibly make. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to get, I'm going to get stupid confident. I'm going to, I'm going to put like, I'm going to, uh, you know, what? for me, sizable amount of money i'm, I'm gonna put oh like you know over a hundred dollars into this thing which wow me, look at you i mean you. That's, that's big boy cash um yeah you know i the first gambling i did was around the super bowl two years ago and i felt the same way i'm like i'm doing so much prep for this for work i'm gonna be sitting at home because of covid no parties I'll, and, and i fared very well but that was a game and that was something that i think has a lot more truths to it than the millions of possibilities in the draft, all of which can get thrown off by like someone trading up or something last minute. I'm worried for you, buddy. Yeah, I'm worried for me too. I Spain guess you're in Vegas. So you're going to gamble by... either way. <laughs> <laughs> We're brought to you by My Computer Career, trading for a better life. The 76ers are trying to get through the first round and have a better life afterwards. The question is, will injuries derail them? We'll figure it out. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on a Monday. ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz live from Vegas as he gets ready for a bunch of draft content later this week. That'll be fun. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. The first of three NBA postseason games on right now. Boston up about 53-46 as the second quarter is coming to a close. Brooklyn playing for their lives. They are out, swept if they lose this game. Boston trying to move on. we got two more tonight. And let's start with the the next game coming up, uh, starting any minute here. The Raptors at the Sixers. Sixers are up 3-1 in this series, Fitz, but that loss... Um, wasn't just to me sort of like the gentleman sweep that often happens when a team that's leading lets down a little bit. 
it was a different performance from Joel Embiid and, and us finding out about that injured thumb and the ligament damage. I still think this Sixers team can fairly easily close out this series. I think they match up super well with the Raptors and I haven't really been concerned about their potential moving forward in this series. But after that, if he's affected drastically by this finger, and I don't know how he wouldn't be, that puts this in a very different. Uh, I'm in a very different mindset about this uh, about the Sixers moving forward. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as we've talked about repeatedly over the last couple of weeks, I think one of the biggest stories in the NBA is just who can stay healthy, and it feels like this year more than ever the attrition has been just outrageous. So as you start looking across the board and thinking, who are the 76ers if they have less than 100% of Embiid? The answer is they're done, I think, when they're taking on any of the best of the best. like uh, As much as we've talked about how close the, the Nets-Celtics games have been throughout the course of this, I wouldn't feel good about Embiid uh, or in a lesser version of Embiid taking on the Celtics. I wouldn't feel good about that matchup against the Heat. And even with the Bucks having their own health issues, I mean, Giannis would just absolutely eat them alive if there's no Embiid there. So I, I can't feel... Uh, I can't find a way that gets the 76ers to where they want to be without all of Embiid. And that's unfortunate because he has been so incredibly special mm-hmm. this season. MRI showing a ligament tear. Doc Rivers hmm. said that's just what they expected. The MRI just confirmed their suspicions. He will have surgery to fix it after the Sixers season comes to an end. Here's Joel talking about how it affects his play. You know, like I always say, you know, when I go out there, you know, I'm not really worried about, you know, whatever that can happen. I just want to. You know, take care of whatever I can. You know, focus on whatever I can focus. I mean, it's painful. Uh, so in the bas- basketball, you need to, you know, use your hand a lot. So <laughs> You sure do. <laughs> uh, he injured it in the first half of the Game 3 win. He had 28 points in the second half in overtime of that game. You remember that last second three heave that won it for them. But clearly, sometimes with these injuries, the swelling, the effects as the time passes. So just 21 points and eight boards in their loss on Saturday. That eight rebounds is the first time he had fewer than 10 in more than a month. And he did talk after the game about how it particularly impacted his rebounding. The thing about it, Fitz, is that this team, as we know, has circled around Joel, but also... What they've gotten from James Harden is as a facilitator for the scorers. So he's not really your number two scorer right now based on the way he's been playing. He's lost a step in terms of beating guys off the dribble. He's not as aggressive in terms of trying to create for himself. He's been an effective facilitator. But if your superstar isn't able to make those shots or crash the boards or get physical the same way we've seen him be be all season, I mean, his physicality is such a big part of his game. That's why I get concerned going forward. Yeah, well, and on top of that, I would I would say that you've got to look at the way games are being officiated too, right? And we've talked a little bit about that uh, throughout the course of all of the series we've seen so far. What do you have? I mean, the the officiating can be at times a little inconsistent, but there's a a crashing that's happening where everybody seems to just be colliding and whether or not you can be as aggressive when you don't have people that are capable of being who Embiid is like that's just that's an element of the game they're going to take away like if you lose that physicality if you lose that ability to draw the same fouls if you get any hesitation under the boards like it just feels like that makes everything about the way Philadelphia wants to run their offense and what they would need to do throughout the course of a seven game series much more difficult they're just not going to be able to match up without him being healthy underneath 
Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you pointed it out. It is frustrating to look across the landscape to get excited all regular season long for some of these matchups and then see Embiid and Booker and Middleton, some of these really star players who haven't been available. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's get to the second game. And we just talked Mavs a little bit, but I want to get into the Jazz side of, side of things too. The series now tied at two apiece. The Jazz have just constantly been disappointing in the postseason they put together a nice regular season record and then they just can't put it together a lot of the headbutting and and I guess butting of heads is how you say it when they're not actually physically headbutting each other the butting of heads uh that goes on between Mitchell and Gobert um it 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 went away at least for the sake of last game as I mentioned in our interview though the NBA t- took a look at the, the game afterwards and said they really should have called an offensive foul on Donovan Mitchell. That would have changed a whole lot of things. Dwight Powell still has to make those free throws. There's a lot of ways that the Mavs still could have tried to pull that out, but that is how the Jazz ended up evening up this series. I don't know if finding that out makes them less confident. They don't feel as good about having beaten uh, the Mavs with Luka back, but I-, I do think if there was a chance to turn this series for the Jazz – it would have to be following up that win in the last game with another one. I don't think they survive if the Mavs take the lead here 3-2. Yeah, and part of the problem is that no matter the outcome of the game, the the Mavs have been the better team, right? And, you know, I, even if you go back to game one and you look at the way the Mavs played there without Luka, I was a little surprised. I thought they'd get rolled. And then you look at what they did with Luka back, and, and you can start to look at this and say, okay, the Mavericks have played better than I expected them to play without their superstar in the lineup. And the Jazz have just sort of been there. Like, they're just, it, it hasn't looked easy. And there's a part, part for me that I thought that the Jazz would be able to roll out quickly with no Luka and get a bigger lead. So, the better team throughout the course of this season, no matter the fact that we're or a series, I should say, even though we're a 2 2, it's clearly been Dallas. I feel good about Dallas moving forward. Yeah, I, I do too. And I think it's only going to get better for Luka, assuming that that leg is fully healed, right? What we saw in that first game back isn't necessarily the extent to which we'll be able to see him exert his presence or make his presence known, but a tweak and a setback and you start back all over again with that kind of injury. So keeping an eye on how many minutes they give him and what he can do is going to be huge. Uh, We always talk about this game five of a tied series. Uh, The winner has gone on to win 82.2% of the time. So tonight's game, huge. Worth noting though, Dallas, oftentimes losing and on the wrong side of those statistical rarities in the past, and they also have not been successful at home. They got crushed by the Clippers last year. They lost a lead of 2-0 and 3-2 in the first round, um, including some home losses. So we'll see if Dallas can start to right the wrongs of the past and change their playoff uh, legacy. Same goes for the Jazz, that will, will most likely be completely imploded if they don't make a deep run this year. Tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Coming up, we all need a little wellness check from time to time. Sports fans, Bulls fans, might need them a little (laughs) more often lately. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I was thinking about you, Sarah. I was worried. Uh, you know, I'm I'm out here in Vegas yeah. doing all this draft work, and 
uh, everywhere you go because everything here has TVs around it means I, I, like I see your face more often than I ever have before because mm-hmm. let's face it you're a TV star so you're always on yeah, around yeah, the horn yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm looking around and you know and now Vegas, it, I'm on those big screens that are like three stories high so oh. real giant face it's, it's, it's huge yeah huge yeah. huge face Sarah Spain and uh, <laughs> good, even good, good. the bet studio outside of the links uh, has the ESPN logo and they put the bottom line on it and and I was looking at the bottom line the other day as I was walking around because NBA games are on weirdly early on the West Coast, right? So walking around, and I, I, I saw the Bulls scores. And, uh, it, you right. know, every time I see it, I think, okay, you know, there's there, you didn't have high expectations coming mm-hmm. into this series. I'll be fair, you were very real from the get-go about mm-hmm. what you expected. And some Gentlemen said the Bulls sweep. might not even get a game. That was what some thought. Mm-hmm. But we saw a plucky version of the Bulls for the first couple of games. Right, right, how, right. How, how are we feeling now? We are not good. Uh, I did predict a gentleman's sweep. Uh, They definitely could have won the first game. Uh, So that was a disappointment because they actually could have had a commanding 2-0 lead with a team reeling at the loss of uh, Middleton and maybe had a shot at something. But this was a terrible matchup. Uh, I think I'm not so much disappointed by the Bucs doing what I expected the Bucs to do, which is be a better team and advance. But the fact that my Bulls didn't even show up for game three. Like, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I've never seen DeMar DeRozan with that many turnovers in a game in his entire career. It was a disastrous outing for them. But the cherry on top of the poop Sunday was Grayson <laughs> Allen being the guy. Back-to-back playoff career highs in games three and four to help his team get that 3-1 lead. Grayson Allen... The dirty dude who took Caruso out for long stretches of the season. By the way, Caruso now out with concussion and potentially not coming back. So thanks again to the Bucks for recognizing that, you know, we can't do much without him. And so you just take him out of games with your dirty tactics. Elbows to the faces and Grayson Allen taking him out off the legs. I mean, have some self-respect and win, win fairly, Bucks, Grayson. But it had me thinking, Fitz. I cannot think of a single player in the NBA, maybe Kyrie, that I would less like my team to get bounced because of or to get bested by. And with Grayson, he's not even the star of the team. Like, it's not like if you didn't like Giannis and then he had a great game, you'd be like, yeah, that checks out. But allowing Grayson Allen back-to-back playoff highs... I, I want to ask the people if they have one of those. If, like, they have someone from an opposing team that they would least like to have be leading the way as their team gets absolutely worked. Oh, that is a that is a spectacular. Well, I, you know, I'm thinking about least like like I'm used to the Raiders getting worked, right? Like we all know that's going to happen. And at <laughs> least most of the time in my lifetime it's been by some version of a, you know, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback. So, I think I can accept some of those defeats with a little bit more uh, grace than others, but I I will say that there was an element, and this isn't just because you and I are together. There was an element for me that, especially with that first time that Khalil Mack played the oh, Raiders in yeah. London, that I was like, I just can't, like, mm. I, I can't. But you got the, the win, I, right, right, right. But still, like that, that's the thought coming in is like, I just can't 
handle Khalil Mack doing mm-hmm. that in this situation. Yeah. It's too it's too fresh. It's too real. Oh. And now Khalil Mack plays for the Chargers. Like I feel like I'm going to see a lot of that this year. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I think mm-hmm. because of that that chapter that that checks out for me. But at least he's a star. You're right. I think what makes it a little bit of a kick in the no no places is that Grayson Allen is like just he's he's a guy. He's not the guy. He's oh. just a yeah. guy coming off. Mm-hmm. Like he's not the guy. Ugh. Ew, that's the worst part about it. He doesn't deserve to have those kind of games against us, particularly when we hate him so much and he's dirty and mean. <laughs> anyway, the wellness check is not good. Also, I it was it was fun on Saturday. Uh, my friend is is has a big uh, birthday coming up, and he didn't really want to do anything, and I ignored that because that's who I am. And I just told him he was coming over to have a couple drinks in honor of his birthday. And instead, there were like 10 of us and we all dressed up as versions of him because he's a really big Halloween person. So each of us picked some costume that he wore in the past that he made spectacular. And when he arrived at the door with his daughter, we were all dressed like various versions of him. So that's what I did Saturday instead of going to the Cubs game. And I remember looking being like, I wonder if I could squeeze in the Cubs during the day and then get ready for the party at night. I'm like, I'm hosting. I shouldn't go. The Cubs won 21 to nothing. And it was 78 <laughs> degrees and sunny. I was watching as I was cooking all the stuff for the, for the party. And it's like the bleachers, everyone's like drunk and shirtless and happy. It's like summertime. They're 21 runs. So I go the next day. It's delayed over an hour for rain. They lose in the last second. I'm like, this weekend sucks. I hate being a sports fan. So delayed by over an hour in the rain. Is there a spot for you? Murphy's Bleachers. You're in Chicago all the time. You live there. Like going to Wrigley's not a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. It's fun. But it's not like you can't just just call it and say, let's go next time. Like, is there a amount of time before you, you guys just decide, you know what? Let's just go drink somewhere and oh, we'll you know check what? out that's, a game another cute. time. That's cute. That's cute that you think I'm just like an average person that doesn't have intel directly from the Cubs on how long it'll be delayed and when they're starting. Okay, I was getting that fine. information starting about 9 a.m. And also the tickets were free. So, of course, I'm not going to bail when I've got really awesome free seats. So we just timed it out to have some mimosa with brunch. Another mimosa. Slow walk to the bar. Couple free beers at the bar. Hang out at Murphy's Bleachers an extra 45 minutes and then head in right in time for first pitch. That is, that's the way it's done. I will say, while we're talking about free stuff, you know, it's it's rare that I uh, am able to say or explain things and, and actually get yeah. any. Certainly uh, not when you've promised them to me. That right, never works perfect. out. Yeah, of course not. Like one, one step at a time here. Uh, but I did actually. I got. I got to give a shout out and a thanks to the Vegas Golden Knights who were quite the host. Uh, for oh, I was able to uh, get the the digital crew that was here that we were working on uh, filming a bunch of features and we had a a small break between one group of Max Crosby tapings and another taping we had to do somewhere else and the Golden Knights were like, why don't you guys come out and check out a little bit of Golden Knights hockey? Sounds so, like what uh, a real team does, unlike the Raiders. Uh, wow. Uh, well, you know, yep. I mm-hmm. there there is, but if I have anyone, like, it was a really fun experience, uh, and they do a nice yes. job. It's, it I would was like very, to go to a game there. That would be it's, fun. It was very much like the Preds, but in a, Va- a Vegas style. Like, they had the band, but instead of yeah. doing country songs, they were doing pop songs. They didn't have one, to hand out a piece of paper explaining the rules of hockey to the fans? Well, that, uh, at some point, I'm sure they did. But there was one uh, yeah. one small critique, uh, that one positive and negative, if, if I could have the, the, the moment for the Golden Knights. Beautifully done. Uh, really appreciate appreciated it. The press box food was a little bit limited because we had access mm. up there, but mm. they did have unlimited Skittles, which took a, took the diet a little solid. off the rails for a couple solid hours. Choice, like, though. Solid choice, though. Unlimited Skittles, and they didn't have the, the crap sour, uh, sour apple. They had the lime in there. Like, oh, mm. that was a quality move. 
Interesting. It's yeah. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, <laughs> ESPN Radio. Take hey, quickly, speaking of off the rails, uh, do you think that the Suns are actually in danger against the Pelicans, or do you think that the longer they have to adjust to being without Booker, the more they'll get things figured out? I think that we're this has been this season has been a real opportunity several times to figure out what a star booker is, right? Like when Chris Paul went down, we all said, not we all, but several people said, you know what, we need Devin Booker to step up and show us who he is, which is exactly what they did, and they won a lot of games without him. Now no Devin Booker, they don't look great. I, I, I think there's a real opportunity uh, for the Pelicans here, and frankly, I'm a little scared. Uh, for, on behalf of Suns fans, I'm a little worried for Phoenix. I agree with you, and uh, I know a lot of people aren't huge fans of CP3. He has a a pretty long history of of going after the twig and berries when he plays, although it's been a while since we got one of those moments. But uh, I just think he's such a good player, and he's been such a great leader for the league that I would like to see him get one, and I'm a little worried that that might not happen. I'm looking at this Pelicans team, and it's what it's showing me is sort of the direct opposition to the Nets in terms of what a team can do. When you've got B.I. and C.J., you've got Valanchunas doing what he did. You've got Alvarado just getting mucky in there. That's a team that's super well coached and is adjusting perfectly to what the Suns look like and what they're trying to do without Booker. And I think they've got a real good shot of pulling off the upset. Yeah, and if they do, man, this just uh, I'm so proud for for the Pelicans and where they are and how they've gotten to this point. And this is that moment where we always say, imagine what it would have been with Zion. But the fact that that's not even part of the conversation yeah. speaks to how much they've been able to get done. And for Phoenix, you got to look at it and say, hey, it, it's fair to say that this team had some heavy expectations this year, even without Devin Booker in a year where there have been so many injuries. I'd be really disappointed in Phoenix and where this season, this season went if they can't do better than they're doing currently. In the meantime, we got to get to some Ben Sto- Simmons work here. The story has a lot of layers to it. We're going to break them down in a real smart way, we hope. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Some conversations are easy to debate. It's easy to take two different sides on it, let everybody yell at each other, and see who wins in the end. Other conversations require people being willing to listen, require nuance, and at the end require everybody willing to say, hey, I'm not sure I have the answer, but at least I have understanding of where we all are on it. That feels like where we might need to be right now when it comes to an important conversation in the NBA around Ben Simmons. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, and... Uh, look, there's going to be a lot of conversations, Sarah, about everything with Ben Simmons. And for anyone that hasn't heard, uh, after about 10 days of pain-free ramp-up following the recovery from a herniated disc, uh, it looks like he's, again, got back soreness. He's not going to play in Game 4 against the Celtics. Uh, we all knew that was uh, coming. Uh, he's listed out for this game, and it has created a lot of conversation, not just about the back, but also about his mental health. And some of that conversation, while it's easy to yell and scream about what everybody thinks, requires real nuance in trying to figure out how we got here and where to go from here. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think it probably would have been better served for Ben Simmons and for the Nets to just not talk about a potential return. And I know that some of that reporting is done by our own people, but Ben Simmons on Friday spoke to the media and talked about his expectation to play tonight, his excitement, even if he was a little under more stress, making an, a, a postseason debut for a team, having never played with them. Um, and his 
verbalizing of that expectation to play and desire to play is really what got everyone hyped up and expecting to see him tonight. That was Friday. Sunday, yesterday, Nick Friedel says to a couple different players on the team, do you expect Ben to play tomorrow? And they were, we have no idea. We don't know. Kind of laughing. I, I have no idea. So he asked Steve Nash, the coach of the team, you've been watching him day in and day out at practice. You know, you're seeing how close he is. Do you expect him to play tomorrow? Steve Nash's response, no idea. It just hasn't felt right throughout. And there are some wild conspiracy theories about whether the team is sort of hyping him up uh, to make it feel like there was a real possibility he might play, whether or not he's sort of gaslighting them by saying he feels better and then at the last minute something coming up physically or mentally. I mean, that's something that Wojnarowski, uh, Adrian posted today that uh, Ben Simmons and CEO of Clutch Sports, Rich Paul, met with the Nets leadership today to talk about both physical and mental hurdles that still need addressing and that there's more work to do that won't include him playing tonight or probably the rest of this season. Um, and, and to me, I, I just think the handling of it, whether it was well-intentioned, made things so much worse for him. At some point, saying nothing is only the only thing you can do in this situation. I'm a little surprised that wasn't the approach from everybody throughout the course of it. But to that point and to the point that you just made about not only his physical health but his mental health, it causes a lot of people to have big reactions. And we know nobody at our company is better at big reactions than Stephen A. Smith. This is a little of what Stephen A. had to say uh, on NBA, on ESPN, on NBA Countdown, I should say, about this Ben Simmons situation and Ben Simmons overall. Let me say this. Notice I said Kyrie Irving is one of the most selfish superstars we've ever seen and obviously one of the most selfish athletes we've ever seen. I didn't say the word the, the as in number one because obviously he ain't got nothing on Ben Simmons. Nobody is worse than Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons might also be the weakest, most pathetic excuse for a professional athlete we have ever seen in not just American history, but the history of sports. I can't think, I can't think of a professional athlete that has come across more pathetic than this man. Hmm. Fitz, this is such a tough one. I think you mentioned it off the top. We're always looking for answers, and in this business, you're rewarded for the hottest take, the most definitive statements on people. And Stephen A's job a lot of the times is to rile people up and make things extreme. I don't think there is an answer that even Ben Simmons has about himself right now. We are so in the dark about the extent of and what his mental health issues look like. We're in the dark about his back problems. We're in the dark about his relationship with the current team that he's on, that he got traded to midseason, and how he's handling the repercussions of the last 20 months from that dunk that he didn't go for to the response from Doc and Joel to the desire to be traded to sitting out to the response from Philly fans. It's confusing and mysterious, and the easy thing is to criticize. But I think what we've learned over the last couple of years about mental health is it manifests in so many different ways that – to go to the farthest extreme, which is this guy is the worst, he's selfish, he doesn't care, all of that is, I think, to to ignore how little information we have. And that's not to say that you can't be frustrated. I Personally, a gut instinct of mine is like it's ridiculous to sue a team for money when you never played. But I also know that you get paid if you have a knee injury. So where does the mental health part of it, where that is as physical as a, as a knee can be in terms of your ability to get out there, 
where does that come in? It's a new horizon. We don't have answers to a lot of this stuff. It's where it's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. It's where it, it almost feels like confirmation bias is going to be natural in this process of trying to figure out what's going on. Because if you want to believe that Ben Simmons' back and his mind have both been severely damaged through this process, then you got to ask yourself, okay, how much of the action that we've seen does that explain, right? But then the other side of it is if you want to believe that he's just soft, air quotes, then you can take all of the actions that we've seen and you can explain them that way. And the hard part is that we can't have any real knowledge on it right now because through all of whether it's somebody talking about back pain or whether it's somebody talking about mental pain, you have to at some point take somebody for their word for it because it's not like that's something that you can just go in, take a look at, and have full understanding of in every situation. So it becomes really difficult because how often when we see, especially when you're talking about mental health, how often do we see when somebody hits rock bottom and their life gets out of control and, and the worst things imaginable happen, we as a society look around and we say, oh my gosh, why didn't we see the warning signs? Why didn't we do more to help somebody? Like Those are all real and, and honest reactions. And then mm -hmm. conversely, I can understand why somebody looks at it and says, well, if he's suing for this and he's done this and he was going to come back and now he isn't, what if this is all just being made up? And, and I understand, but what about isn't become so dangerous when you're talking about mental health because we don't know the answers. So like as much as everybody wants to yell that either he is soft or yell that he needs more protection, the real answer is none of us have any, have any damn clue and we yeah. won't have any clue for a very long time. Like this may never have a real resolution. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I think one thing I've thought in recent years, whenever we talk about a specific athlete, is it is much easier to have empathy in the abstract. When people post, it's okay to not be okay. When people share memories of loved ones who they've lost to suicide and people rush to tell them, I'm so sorry for your loss and tell them it's not your fault if you tried or if you listen to them talk about their struggles and you didn't know what to do. But in the moment, especially if it's connected to the tribalism that we feel around sport, we lose the empathy in favor of what have you done for me or my team? Or how do I hold you up next to the archetypes of masculinity and toughness that we've established as the most supreme in sport, even above our own humanity and our ability to see human beings in those uniforms? And so when it's a specific person who can't play or can't compete in the Olympics like Simone Biles, like you hoped for, our kindness is in very small measure. And when it's abstract, we love to be the people who understand and accept. It's really stunning to me. And, and, you know, I had the opportunity, as I've said a few times today, to talk to Max Crosby from the Raiders this week. And in the course of a three or four hour hang, as we were talking, one thing he talked about is that he, as an individual, has a part of him that loves violence, and that's part of why he does what he does. It's why he loves fights. It's why he loves boxing, UFC, all of that stuff. He loves that violent outlet that he gets. And he said, but one thing that's always surprised him is that people think because he loves violence and plays a violent sport that he has to be violent or a certain way 24-7. And in fact, he's not. He's kind of a quiet, soft-spoken guy in some ways, and he's a particularly emotional guy in some very real ways. And you look at that and you're reminded of the expectation that we put on somebody versus the reality of who they are. And with Ben Simmons in this situation, I feel like there, there are people putting expectations based on whatever they want to believe about Ben. And realistically, we have no way of knowing exactly who Ben Simmons mm -hmm. is. And the, the, that's going to always be the weirdest part. At some point, we'll probably have a better answer to that, but it might take years. And however the NBA deals with this situation right now, 
will create precedent that's going to last for an entire generation, not just for Ben, but for so many other people that may battle mental health. And that's equally dangerous because everybody's battle is so different. It's, it's the human element of this is, is stunning to me. And I think the best thing we could all do is reserve judgment and instead have really difficult conversations where we listen and we allow nuance to come into it. Right. Uh, it and let people be disappointed. Let people be frustrated. Let people say I had high expectations. Let people be confused. Let people be critical even of something like the suit he has against the Sixers or the choices that they've made around talking about him returning or not. But I think the judgments, these the personal attacks, um, that's when you sort of have lost your way a little. Yeah, so well said, Sarah. Everybody has the opportunity here to have real reaction. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount. All you got to do is combine your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protections in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. We'll get you updated on the NBA action that's going on right now. Are the Nets about to be done? Plus, your reaction to our question on Twitter coming up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I feel like this song is about me and Grace and Allen. You know, it's just, I'm trying not to think about it, but I was, I had already prepared myself for the Bulls to get bounced by the Bucks. The Bucks are a great team. Bulls aren't totally healthy. The Bulls, this, was, this season was a, a little bit of gravy in terms of expectation. And it was really fun all season long to watch them and getting bounced by the defending champs doesn't hurt too bad. But Grace and Allen being the guy who was putting them to bed in the last two games, career playoff highs for that guy. That is too much for me to take. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You know that I usually focus on the positive. I hype up my teams. I don't usually even boo opposing teams. I don't talk smack about them unless I really don't like them. But Grayson Allen is in a category of his own, particularly after he took out Caruso this season and knocked him out for months. And now Caruso out in concussion protocol after another elbow against the Bucks. This team uh, is really is really challenging their spot as my side piece, Fitz. <laughs> it's always tough when your main squeeze and your side piece end up in the same room. But it's especially tough when one is abusing the other. Oh, yeah. No, and your side piece can't have a fatal flaw because they're already your side piece, right? Like, right. So I'm, you can gotta easily keep you around just, for the good stuff. You can't right, like, also present me with more problems and drama. No. If your side piece starts calling you to tell you about how bad their day was, now you're no. getting into a level of like you might as well not just. not what you're here for. Yeah. Like, no. that, that's, you, you can't deal with that with the Bucks. I like, bring they, you they, in for Giannis dunks, okay? <laughs> that's it. I bring you in for Giannis highlights. That's my kink. I don't want Grayson Allen. Uh, it inspired us to ask you, uh, in honor, never in honor of Grayson Allen, but inspired by that dirty old player doing well against my Bulls, what player from an opposing team would you least want to see lead his or her team to victory against your squad? And we got some really good ones. Some really, really good ones. Sophie Cunningham is up there, and if you do not know the WNBA well, that one will not resonate for you, but I will tell you if you have ever seen the now famous shot of Kalia Copper staring down at Sophie Cunningham in the uh, in the Sky series uh, en route to their WNBA title. Uh, that's who I'm talking about. And just do a little digging on her. And, and you might understand why people wouldn't want her to be the one to end your season or to mm. play well against you. Thankfully, we never had to watch that because Kalia Copper absolutely owned her. Uh, but that's a good one. 
Reggie Miller, someone said. Uh, he was definitely one of those rivals that, like, when they had it, when he had his hero moment, ugh. Uh, Scott Rowland of, of uh, a lot of people were, were not into Scott Rowland. Dwayne Wade, as a Mavs fan, someone says Dwayne Wade is always the answer. Uh, Joel Embiid, somebody says, and it's happening right now to my Raptors. Uh, yours was yours was Khalil Mack after the trade. Is that is are, is there anyone else from like a, a, a team like a regular uh, opponent, or is it always like that personal connection to someone who used to be on your squad? I, I think it's a personal connection. Although there are there are certain players that I always just you know like look my UNLV fandom when I was a kid. Uh, Duke, we, we share that with the Grayson Allen portion of it. Like, Duke was always sort of a, a – but the problem is UNLV was never good enough to be eliminated. But, like, watching Bobby Hurley play in college, like, I just mm. – I don't know. Like, that stuff always just – that was a gut punch for me. There are certain mm. guys that it, it just – and I apologized when I became friends to Jay Will. I was like, hey, I got to I gotta apologize for all the things that I said <laughs> against you. Uh, but the problem is that UNLV was just never good enough to compete. Most of my teams – I've never been good enough to actually compete yeah. against the guys that can knock you out. That's like, what that's I was going to say. It's like the answer could easily be Aaron Rodgers, but it's happened so many times now. I'm just like numb to it. It's like, yeah. yeah, it doesn't hurt that bad. He's amazing at football. So it's sort of expected. That's why Grayson Allen hurts so much. He's not that good. Like if Giannis does it, fine. But Grayson Allen? Ugh. Um, Joe Canale says uh, Pedroia or AJ Perzinski. Uh, or anyone who played against me in 16-inch softball or flag football, it would be the answer would be me. Uh, that that's that's a good one too. Anybody who played against me in field hockey, the answer would definitely be me, <laughs> because I was just beating the crap out of people, and they were all like seven inches shorter than me. So uh, imagine me running at you with a stick in my hand. Uh, that I definitely would be on everyone's list. Uh, Evander Kane is a great answer. Absolutely not a guy that you want to beat you. Uh, Jose Altuve, yeah, if you're if you're not a fan of those Astro squads and some of their uh, methods, I could see that happening. Um, Shane Victorino is an interesting answer. I would not have expected that. I always just think it's kind of like the guy that you hate when he's on the other team, but you love on your own, like a Joakim Noah type, the kind that getting people under people's skin. Yeah, and, and I'll say to that end, I think, you know, you for a lot of hockey fans in Nashville, they would say Sidney Crosby has had uh, his moments against the Preds that uh, sort of stick in everybody's crawl. Like, mm. there's certain, like, and you're right, that, like, then you're talking about somebody that everybody, like, Brady's the answer for a lot of people because you just hate seeing Brady be successful against your team. Yes. And you also know that if he was on your team, your team would be that much <laughs> better. Like, that's the kick that nobody likes. Yeah, that's a part of it, too. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, right now, Boston not letting up against Brooklyn. They are trying to put away the Nets in a very embarrassing sweep. First round sweep for the team of destiny that people had filling out championships for when they started uh, and put together the big three two years ago. Obviously, last year ended uh, a much better run, but... Uh, Durant's extra long shoe ended it for them this year out with a whimper right now 90 78 with the third quarter coming to an end here uh Boston is up and Fitz you know the 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 conversation around this series sometimes our analysis falls short we have expectations and things happen differently a lot of us would not have pinned the Pelican series and the Suns to go this way or even maybe the Timberwolves and Grizzlies to go back and forth the way it has but in this one it was Kevin Durant has to play completely out of his mind and the Nets have to somehow find a way to defend for all 48 minutes. 
And Durant has 27 tonight. It's doing well. But they cannot keep up with the Celtics for a full game. Defensively, we've said this since this team was put together, they are going to have some of the lowest marks as a team defensively for any team trying to have success in the postseason. It just It's never been enough. Yeah, and it, it reminds me a little bit with the Celtics portion of it, and you start thinking about who they are. We had a, a guest on, and forgive me for not remembering, but recently, and we asked about the difference between the Celtics early in the season to now, and the answer was there is no difference. The, the advanced analytics shows you that their shots were falling, uh, not falling, I should say, for the first uh, half of the season at an alarming rate, and everybody looked at it and said, we'll be just fine. And what we're seeing now is that that was true. The Celtics are just fine. So the Celtics are going to push you. You're going to have to be able to, to score. And the Celtics have been able to shut down KD at a surprising rate also. So, you know, now you're looking at everybody thought that the Nets would be just fine also. And, and think about how many times we've said this about different teams over the last couple of years. As long as the stars get together, everything will be okay. And it, that keeps turning out to not be true. Yeah. It, it's more I than like just it. get them on the court. I actually like it because it gives me hope that teams can put together a squad with a couple stars instead of always needing to get the big superstar because Chicago hasn't been able to score that, you know, Giannis, LeBron, Embiid type, uh, as great as DeRozan has been. But um, thanks for listening to Spain and Fitz. Uh, we do admit when we're wrong, like when we put our money on people like, you know, Tom Brady and LeBron, things don't go right. But we also get to say, I told you so. So Nets, we told you so. We told you this was how it was going to go. And I, uh, frankly, I'm enjoying it. I'm usually not that petty, but now I am. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.